Turn in your Bibles to Exodus. And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Um, Nicole, would you hand out the Bibles if anybody? Yeah, we need a Bible up front here, Nicole. Sweet. Um, and we're on page 48 in the Pew Bible. Um, page 48. And um, excited this morning to spend this time continuing in the Exodus. Um, we are looking at Last week, we closed out with this great excitement, great anticipation uh, of what was going to take place because the elders here, and we're going to read this briefly, really quickly, as I get my computer or whatever this thing is up here, up to speed here. We're in Exodus. We are going to be in Exodus chapter 5 this morning. Exodus chapter 5. Great question. Let's see if I'm going to get this to work, and if not, I'm going to have to have some help. There we go. Exodus chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 21 this morning. But I want to give a little, read a little bit of the backstory before we get started um, by looking back to Exodus 4 because to kind of lead into this, you've got to have a a little bit of the backstory. And so here we are in verse chapter 4, verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that they had seen their, he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life-changing effect it has. And Lord God, that you're at work, not only in Chelan, but in Chelan County, in the state of Washington, throughout the United States, and throughout the world. And Lord God, I pray that you would continually impress upon us that we are a part of a massive congregation of believers, the kingdom of God. Lord God, impress upon us the, the need to be in prayer for our saints, for Paul and Cotty, who are abroad, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the corners of the world. And Lord God, that, that our prayers matter, that our prayers and the prayers of the saints led by the Holy Spirit working in Cotty wrote that story that will be effect, and we just pray that it will continue to affect many children and many adults in China, that you are the good father who cares for their needs that wants to hear their cries, that wants to take the burdens from their hearts. Thank you, Lord God, for being present with us, being the great I am. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. I don't know, I mean, folks have, have actually gotten that book, Redemption. I continue to plug that book, Redemption, by Dave Wilkerson. It's a great, phenomenal book. It'll be a great companion as we travel through Exodus to read alongside. Within that book, um, Mr. Wilkerson, who is a Christian counselor for a large church in Seattle, um, shares some of the counseling stories that he has. And I thought one of the stories that he had in there would be very appropriate for this morning is as we look at things in life get harder before they get better. Things in life can get harder before they get better. I'd like to tell you a little bit about a gentleman named Tom. 
Tom had married his high school sweetheart. They fell in love and passionate about each other, got married very young, and they were madly in love. And soon, guess what followed suit was a beautiful little child. Pregnancy went great for Tom's wife. They had no indication whatsoever that something was wrong. Tom was holding his new son in his arms for the first time when the son stopped breathing. After three days of fighting, Tom's baby died. Tom and his wife were young, didn't know how to deal with such grief in their lives, didn't have God in their lives, and so they they stuffed down the grief. Tom's wife didn't see Tom grieving the way she thought he should grieve, and, and so you know, as they continued on in their married lives and more kids came into their lives, the, the separation between Tom and his wife just continued to grow until finally Tom's wife found one day a man who had compassion on her. that She felt made her happy, and so she abandoned their marriage. Had an affair and got a divorce. Tom was devastated. Facing the loss of the child, facing the loss of his wife, he began to turn to drugs and alcohol, amphetamines, dove headlong into drug use. He lost custody of his kids. He lost his house. He lost his job. Penniless and on the streets. Tom was attempting to live life. Exodus 4 closes with great expectation as the Israelites, while still in captivity, the leaders of the Israelite nation were praising God, were looking to the great hope and the great expectation of what God was going to do, what God was going to work out, and how he was going to deliver the Israelite people from Pharaoh. But before they could get delivered, before that they could leave out, they first had to go tell the one that was over them that God says we need to go. God says that you're not our master. God says that you're not in control of us. We need to go. And so we look here at the beginning of chapter 5. Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Ah, underline that. Get back to your burdens. Oh my goodness. That's just, I didn't emphasize that enough in the first service. The same day, excuse me, get back to your burdens. He said, I want you to notice something here as we're going through this text. Sometimes there are little things that we can pass over when reading something, but how many of y'all know what a, a, a personal preposition is? Come on. Okay. 
All right. My, mine, your, yours, right? Like we're working on our English skills here, a little, little bit of exercise here. And, and when we look at this, notice what Moses and Aaron, where Moses and Aaron are. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, God says, let my people go. That my is extremely important there. Who does God say the people belong to? Him. Who does Pharaoh say the people belong to? Ooh, we got a little conflict going on, right? We got a little problem here going on. Moses and Aaron go to go from excitement to confrontation as they speak to Pharaoh about releasing God's people. They reveal to Pharaoh the call of God that God's people belong to him and he is their God. Pharaoh makes zero acknowledgement of God. Notice Pharaoh's question, and maybe it's a, it's a question that you hear from people. Who's God? Who is this God? Who is this God that you refer to? Who is this Lord? I don't have to obey him. I'm God. Pharaoh's mind is like, there are no other gods. My gods and the gods that I say that are gods are the gods that you must worship because you are my people. You don't belong to this other God. They deny, he denies the existence of the Lord, and he's ignorant to God's identity, and he's resistant to God's authority. He's disobedient because he's arrogant, ignorant, excuse me, and he chooses to remain ignorant so that he can keep being disobedient. I love Moses and Aaron's response here. They respond with awe of God. In verse 3, at the end of the verse, they said, you know what? we got to obey God. We need to sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Let me tell you something, Pharaoh. You think what you can do to us is bad? What God can do to us is worse if we don't obey him. Moses and Aaron have a correct understanding, a correct awe of God. And that makes Pharaoh furious. Because that master does not want the one true God to be worshipped. And we had talked about this when we we're looking at going through Exodus. We see things from the lens of the light of understanding this as a historical account of what God did. But Moses is writing this down so that the people of Israel, as they travel out throughout the land of the wilderness, as they go into the promised land, would continue to remember that this is more than just about Pharaoh and God's people. This has got to do with the evil forces that were at work trying to keep the Israelite people from serving the one true God. Pharaoh stands in opposition to the obedience and the will of God. I believe that's one of the reasons God doesn't ever mention in this text here the name of which Pharaoh it was because he wants us to understand this is about the evil forces that were working against the plan of God. Pharaoh presses, and he desires awe for himself. He's malevolent towards God's people, intense, often vicious, ill will, spite, or hatred towards God. Pharaoh just isn't not wanting the people to go and serve God. He is actually hatred towards their God and towards them following God. It's interesting for us on this side of the cross, as we look at this passage, we begin to understand 
as we've started this, looking at this journey of redemption, that there's two different paths that I think people may be on here and here this morning. There may be someone here who came to, for some reason, God has drawn them. And maybe you've been drawn for a while. Maybe you've been coming to church services for a while, the gatherings for a while. And you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. The evil one has sent you lies that God isn't good, he isn't gracious, he isn't glorious, that somehow you're still trying to earn righteousness for yourself. You're still trying to earn a right standing or, or trying to earn your way to heaven by, by actions, by things that you do, by your conduct. And you're still trying to, to figure this out on your own without surrendering to God. If that is the case, then... then the evil one still has control upon your heart and is still feeding you that lie that you can somehow please God apart from Christ. And Christ has come to set you free from that lie of sin and deception. For us, for others here this morning, probably for the majority of us, we we're, we're call ourselves Christ followers. We call ourselves people, disciples of Jesus, and that we want to pursue God in all of life. But we understand that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God begins to expose things in our heart and our life. I call it the camp experience. How many of y'all like went to a Bible camp or something like that, even a weekend retreat? All right, good, you're awake. That's good. All right, most people have, okay, that, that's great. You know, the camp experience, and you know what? Christy and I had a great, great youth group that we were involved in back in Tucson, Arizona, and our youth group was, I don't know, 200 kids? A lot, yeah. It was a big camp. And so when we went to camp, I mean, it was fun. We had all sorts of great times. But we had a great youth pastor in Steve Fisk, the pastor that married Christy and I. And he did a great job. On Wednesday night, we would come together. And Wednesday night was, was the come to Jesus meeting, right? It was the chance for kids to confess that they're sinners and need Jesus Christ as their Savior. Did an amazing job. And a lot of kids would come to faith. And then usually on Thursday night, right before we went home on Friday, he'd talk to us as Christians and say, okay, now that you've made these decisions for Christ, what is holding you back from pursuing God and following him? And so we'd have what we call, this is reaching back a little bit, cassette burning, okay? <laughs> come on. For some of you, it was V8 tracks. And we may go, for some of you may have been albums, but we won't go back that far, Okay. And after the trivia night last night at Mo, for some of you, it may have been those old phonographic tubes, but I don't think we had anybody going back that far, okay? But we'd throw them in the fire because we'd recognize that, that, that things had a grip on our heart and our life. We were allowing things to influence us and pull us away from God. And so we were, it was this visible representation of getting things out so to pursue God. And we left camp excited, flying high. We were really excited to go home and live for Jesus. And not only did I get to experience that on the side of being a camper, but also as, as a person who got to lead others to go to camp. When we were, Christy and I were working with youth in Phoenix, Arizona, at Northwest Bible Church, um, we got to take some kids to Hume Lake. And if you ever experienced Hume Lake or have heard of Hume Lake Camp, it's, it's off the chart. It's like, I don't know, 1,000 students descend on this camp, and it's an all-week-long competition, and it's just so much fun. And they had the progression there, too. And one night, and I won't use his name, we'll just call him Steve. Steve was so heartbroken over his sin. His dad was an elder in the church. And I'd known Steve for a while. He was a musician. He loved hanging out with other musicians and playing guitar. I mean, he played them. I mean, he had calluses on. I mean, just all the time. And some of that musician life and, and some of the things that don't need to go along with it, but often do, he'd gotten involved in. 
and he brought to me a really large pill bottle filled full of drugs. And I was so excited for Steve. I was like, yes, this is where Steve comes around the corner. And I had this much understanding of addictions. And I'm like, this is it. Steve's a free man. He's going to like never pursue these things ever again. And, and, and we got ready to leave out of camp. And I was so proud of Steve as he was confronting the sin that was in his life, the things that had mastery over him. Peter, excuse me. Tom, broken, penniless, living on the streets, didn't have much family that supported him. He started to turn to not just doing drugs, but selling them. His sister, in a, in a Hail Mary attempt to see Tom turn around his life, gave him some money and sent him off, bought him a bus ticket to go off to another city to start over. Maybe you just get away from the influences of that city. Tom arrived in the new city, struggling, broken, sleeping on a park bench. He cried out to God. God, if you're real, if you're present, if you're there, I, I am broken. I have nothing to offer you, but I, I need your help. And he cried out to God, and God heard his cries. It started to rain, and, and Tom got up in search of a place to, to lie down where he wasn't get rained on. He went to this, this doorstop, door, doorway, and he began to fall. He fell asleep there, and he woke up to a line of people staring at him. What in the world's going on? Well, by God's divine will, he had fallen asleep on the door of a Christian mission. Gotta love how God works things out. He went inside and he started to speak with the counselors and he entered into their program and he got clean from drugs and alcohol. And he started pursuing God and learning what it was to have a life with God and walk with God. Confronting his addictions, confronting his sin, he was excited. I wish the story would stop here, right? You know, the confrontation and, and, and we'd love to hear Pharaoh say, Sweet, you're so right. It is in my best interest to let the people go. But he doesn't do that, does he? God told Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And believe it or not, what God does here is not just for Pharaoh, but for the people of God. The people of God need what is about ready to happen so that their hearts might be revealed. Verse 6, the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. How many of you all have ever, like built a mud hut? Okay, I know. You guys have had some real experience with this, right? Just plain mud or did you, ha you have to have something to put in there with it? Okay, okay yeah, the stalks are something to kind of firm it up and yeah. Like in Nebraska, if you don't put any straw in it, you got to, in the rain, it's just bad, right? But it's really cool. In Nebraska, for some reason, the public education thinks it's still important that, you know, you do that. And so then the Christian schools also said, oh, this is a great idea, so we're going to go make mud, which is fun playing in the mud when you're a kid. But here, the Israelites, this isn't for fun. This is for what they're supposed to do. And they're given a quota of how many bricks they're supposed to make a day. And, and Pharaoh's ticked off. I am your God. I will remove all hope from you. So I'm going to keep 
the burden the same, and I'm going to take your straw away. You're going to have to go out and find your own straw, put it in, and, and then make these bricks, and you're still going to have to keep the same, same amount of brick making. You think you've got time to go out in the wilderness and worship your God? You have no time. You have no hope of escape. You are mine, and I am your God, and you will worship me. There's no hope for you. Pharaoh was looking to remove all hope from the Israelite people. Verse 9, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may be labor at it and pay no regard to their lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will give, not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel and the Pharaoh's taskmasters had said over them were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Things got harder before they're going to get better. As the Israelites are facing this time, they go from confrontation of Pharaoh to conflict, to grief, to sorrow. Pharaoh is demonstrating that he is master over these people. And at this time, the Israelites should be realizing we need a master and a God who will take care of us, who will love us, and who will treasure us. You see, God is in the process of taking the Israelite people from being servants of Pharaoh to sons and daughters of God. Last week we saw that verse that said, God, that Moses was supposed to go tell Pharaoh that the sons and daughters of Israel were the sons and daughters of God. And we're not his people. God is in the business of helping us understand our father and that we belong to him. And that he is over us. He is our king and our Lord. God wants to be your king and Lord. God is a patient, just, and a righteous, holy God. Those songs we sung today, they were all about that. Refiner's fire. Oh my goodness. I, I Sometimes I just, I, I think, Denise, we might need to do a warning label over some of these songs. Warning. Sing at your own risk. Warning. Pray at your own risk. Because when we see these things and when we say these things, God is going to work this out in our lives. He is going to refine us. And refiner's fire is painful, but it reveals what's truly in our hearts. Sin, disbelief. Reichen in his commentary writes this. He says, everyone is born in captivity to sin. Consider a few examples. The angry man is watered by his anger. When someone makes him mad, he can't control his temper. He lashes 
he always has to lash out. The lustful man is mastered by his lust. When temptation comes, he helplessly gives in to his craving for pleasure. The selfish woman is mastered by her selfishness. She spends all her time thinking about her own desires and then pitying herself when they go unmet. She has no love left to give to anyone else. The gossip is mastered by her tongue. She can't resist the urge to go tell somebody the latest news. We are born underneath the captivity of sin. And some of us have different areas of struggle than others. For some people, when I mention gossip, they're like, I don't want to talk to people. That's not a problem. For some of us, anger, like, no, I'm a pretty calm, mellow individual. I don't have a problem with anger. For some of us, this idea of being controlled by the thoughts of others is really foreign to us because we're just living pretty easygoing people. Like, whatever, people can think whatever they want. But for some of us, these are real issues. And all of us have issues. All of us struggle with flesh. We need to hear the words of, of Paul. Paul says in Romans seven twenty one to 23, So I find it to be the law, when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We're in a fight to overcome sin and darkness and the fleshly desires, and the evil one's going to come against us, and the world's going to come against us, and our own flesh is going to make it difficult for God to be our master and Lord. And we're in a fight. We're going to face this conflict, and, what, and we think that, oh, great, I'm going to confess this. I'm going to, I'm going to have that camp experience. Woohoo! I'm going to pursue God. God is, re and I, I, excuse the imagery, there's always faults with certain imagery, but this is kind of how I think about it. It's like God comes to enter into, into this house, my life, and, and the Holy Spirit, and then he sends the Holy Spirit on a seek and destroy mission, okay, or, or seek and seize your mission. In, in Iraq, we would knock on the door of a house, and, and, and well, when I say knock, it usually involves explosives, but, you know, <laughs> And we breached the door of the house, right? And we're going room to room and we're taking all the weapons and we're taking all the cash because this is a house that has been helping terrorists, right? And we're going to root out the problem of terrorism. Well, guess what? There's a worse enemy than terrorism. It's called sin. And God's in the business of breaching the door of our house. And let me tell you what, there wasn't this no like, let me come in. No, God breaches the door of our house with this explosive revelation of who he is. Boom, I am the son of God, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and you're a worthless sinner. I love it when God's straight with us. And we get that wonderful opportunity to repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ, and then the Holy Spirit just starts every room. Sin. And he doesn't shine a little light on it, okay? It's not one of these old, like, 2D cell kind of battery-operated lights that when you push the button on, you were not sure or sure if it's going to come on or not. It's one of these, like, 10,000-lumen LED spotlights that, boom, and we know it. And we're like, oh, there's my sin. And, okay, God, you're in control, and I trust you. There's my sin. There's my anger. There's my selfishness. There's my gossiping. There's, there's my lust. There's all these things that the Holy Spirit exposes in our lives, and we get excited. God, you're going to take this and root this out. And then all of a sudden, it gets hard. All of a sudden, oh, I've been angry at this person. I got to go confess that. And we're like, oh, God, sweet, 
I'm going to go confess Elijah. I'm so sorry for, for being angry at you and yelling at you. And Elijah goes, you've done it so many times, I don't know how you can be genuine. Wait a minute, that's not how it was supposed to go. You're supposed to forgive me and everything's supposed to be dandy and fine. Conflict. God, this is too hard. It's much easier for just me to be angry. I don't need to open my heart to that. I don't need to open my heart to being rejected like that. Lying, selfishness. When we start confessing and we start seeking God to rule in those reign in those areas, we face conflict in all those opportunities. And guess what? We're going, it's just too hard. I quit. And the camp experience lasts a couple days and we're back to what we were doing. Because it was too hard. And the gospel hits a brick wall and stops. Because the gospel says God comes to be our king, our master, our Lord, and redeem all areas of our lives. And he's provided us and he's equipped us with the power, the ability to do so. Paul gets it. Romans 7, 24, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? Of death. Exposure to what is truly our master. We have been asking this question over and over and over again, and we're going to keep at it because I know there are areas, there are things that the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to us pockets of un, lack of faith, pockets where we've been hurt, pockets where we, we, We've got sin, we've got habits, things that we've done in our lives that we just refuse to confess because we feel like if we confess them, it'll be cause too many other things and it's gonna be bad, bad, bad. I prayer, my prayer for us and has been and continues to be that God will reveal those places in all of our lives where we need to confess our sin and repent of it and that we will be mastered by Christ and Christ alone and not by covering up our sin, not by the evil one's lies and deception and not by the, the, what the world has entangled us with. That this journey through Exodus will be every day, every week, and sometimes every moment, a step of God's redemptive work in our lives. That we will stop looking at our lives and justifying our sin. I don't know if you caught that line. That God would forgive us our sin, but not let us have peace with our sin. If we sit here this morning and we say, well, I've sinned against God, but it's okay You've got a problem in your life and you're facing that conflict in your life and that God to have victory over your life and you're, you're, you're raising the white flag in defeat and you will lose, you'll lack the ability to draw close to God because that sin will remain. And it will lead to despair. Conflict leads to despair for the Israelite people. But I want to put this out front right here, right now. It did not need to. It did not need to. Verse 15, then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? Ah, the, the personal possessive, right? Who do the people of Israel say they belong to? Pharaoh, who did God say they belonged to? God, 
But there the hearts are when they face the conflict, they're running to, this is like ludicrous, but we do this. When faced with the conflict of overcoming their sin, they, they go to the oppressor. They go to the one that's inflicting them and they say, please have mercy on me. Please treat me nicer. For 400 years, they've been enslaved and beaten. Oh, please be nice to us. He's not the guy, the guy that will deliver them. The one that will deliver them is the one true God. But they go to, to Pharaoh and, they, and look how many times they say this. Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw has been given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. Three different times the Israelites are identified as Pharaoh's servants. No, they're God's children. And they should be coming to Pharaoh at this point and saying, saying, why are you being so mean to us? And say, you can do whatever you want to us, but God is going to deliver us. But they failed to believe in the words of God and the promises of God. Pharaoh says to them, you are idle. If you want to write idle underneath that circle that, you say, instead of idle, you're a bunch of slackers. You're lazy. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce the number of your bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who are waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. This is very interesting. They turn to the prophets of God. They turn to the ones who speak for God. And they say this. The Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. And have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Who matters to the Israelite people right here? Whose opinion matters? Pharaoh's. Whose opinion should matter the most? God's. The Israelite people are in desperate need of deliverance. Not just physically, but more important spiritually. That they might be delivered from their own hearts and in their hearts and their minds who they think they belong to Pharaoh. Their conflict leads to despair. When Glenn preached during Advent, he gave us the definition of despair. And I think I'd like just to remind you of it. Despair is to lose all hope or confidence. The, the Israelites lost all hope and confidence in God. They didn't run to God. They didn't cry out to God. They went to Pharaoh, the guy who's oppressing them. And then they went to the prophets who are the mouthpieces for God. And they blamed them. This is all your fault. If you just would have left us alone in our slavery, things were so much better. Wait a minute. You were just worshiping God a few minutes ago saying we have hope in what God's going to do. But that's the, that's the problem that we face, brothers and sisters, when we start to confront our own sin and what is mastering us in our own lives. Things are going to get harder 
and the depth of our sin and the depth of our rebellion will get exposed and we're gonna have to make a choice to either trust and hope and confidence in our deliver in Jesus Christ. Christ's deliverance on the cross was complete. It lacked nothing so that we can overcome our sin, brokenness, hurts. All of those things can be overcome because of the cross of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture Cotty gave us today. Peter, little Peter, this kid, blessed be the children, because I'm telling you what, they get this so much quicker than us. Okay? Peter going, I have fear. Oh, what am I supposed to do? I look, I go to the cross, right? Resurrection. I look to the hope of God, and I'm going to take this sucker off. I'm not afraid. God, you've taken my fear from you. What a great visible representation. I'm giving you my fear. I'm giving you my anger. I'm giving you my selfishness. I'm giving you my words. I'm giving you my lack of hope. I'm giving you my lack of faith. Please put your crown. Please put your robe of righteousness, holiness, peace, joy, love, contentment upon me. We don't need to despair. When we start facing down those enemies of God in our lives, we don't need to despair. We can have hope. Tom, as he grew in the Lord, realized he needed to get baptized, and he wanted to get baptized, not in this faraway city that, that no one really knew him, but he wanted to go back home to his hometown where all this had been stirred up, where all the problems had begun. And he went home. And a pastor in a local church there said that he'd baptize him, and he brought some of his friends from the mission with him. And Tom's got up and, and, and told the testimony of what God had done in his life. And as he's sharing his testimony, there, there's a police officer, an off-duty police officer sitting there. And he's aware there's a warrant out for Tom's arrest. Because Tom had sold drugs to an, an undercover police officer. As Tom's testimony goes on, in the back of the church, one uniformed police officer came. And then it was three. And then there were seven in total. And finally, it was ten. And Tom went down in the water. And he was brought back up to be met by a police officer in front of the congregation handcuffed Tom let him away to prison don't miss the point of the story the crux of the story is how does Tom respond Tom had confronted the sins of his life he was pursuing Jesus Christ And here stood this massive barrier to pursuing the life that maybe Tom thought what God was calling him to. How does Tom respond? Does he despair? Does he spit in the police officer's faces? Does he get mad at God because God, if you this isn't fair? I, I, I pursued you. I got clean. I've done all these things. This isn't fair. 
I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to go to prison. I'm guilty of these things. This isn't fair. Or is it? Or is God going to take Tom right where he needs to be? I don't know what happened to Tom. I wish I could sit here and tell you this is the rest of the story. But I don't, I think we need to live in, in that moment for all of us. Because I think all of us are kind of in that spot where Tom's at. I think God is convicting our hearts of sin and rebellion and lack of faith. And lack of, lack of pursuit of him. And we're in those moments right here and right now. And how do we respond? We just got handcuffed. Are we going to get handcuffed and, and, and led away to despondency? Or are we going to get hope? The hope of our God. And trust like little Peter did that God, no matter what I face, I can take off my fear. I can take off my anger. I can take off my selfishness. I can take off my lack of faith. And you will bless me with the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Paul makes this beautiful statement in Romans 7.25 at the conclusion of this section of Scripture. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Sometimes when we look at the titles and the names of Jesus, we just gloss over them. Paul is saying, thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lordship is something we struggle with as a Christian church to understand because remember, we're America. We tell people when they have power, right? We vote them into power. We, we, we are, we, my right to vote, all those things, right? We are Americans, right? So we struggle with lordship. Lordship is all about God having all the power and us getting no vote. And we don't like that. We don't like that. But God's the only faithful God. God is the only one true God who is a wonderful Lord. And his lordship is what we should desire and want in our lives. Because that's the only hope we're ever going to have of being redeemed by God. That's the only hope we're ever going to have of having Christ reign in our lives and sin radically removed. We want God to be Lord and King. He goes on to say, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. We're in a fight. James 1.12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Brothers and sisters, when we break into a rhythm of life, of confession and repentance and pursuit of God and kingship of God in our life, at first it's a difficult thing. But the more we get in that rhythm of life, of pursuing God as our king and our Lord, the easier it becomes to pursue him. The easier it becomes to confess and repent. The easier it becomes to see Christ as our master and Lord. There's questions that are in your bulletin. I pray that in a group setting, you have the courage to begin to address them. My prayer for all of us is that during this time, we would all continue to be convicted of areas of our lives. 
The kid that I told you about, Steve, he went home. And within two weeks was back on drugs. Last I heard, he was in and out of jail. He faced the conflict of going home to despair. That does not need to be our story. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. I thank you that we can be confronted with our sin and that hard, those hard moments that come from that confrontation do not lead to despair but can lead to hope in you. And Father God, that we could have that powerful restorative work in our lives continually driving us, drawing us closer to you. Lord God, may we not justify our sin. May we not be at peace with it. In Jesus' most holy and wonderful name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.